Welcome to Cloudlandia. Wow. Wow. Welcome to Cloudlandia. Well, thank you very much. And I'm in a very snow-covered mainland in the north. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> it's a little bit, it's, I'd say a little bit chillier than normal here mm -hmm. out in the courtyard. But mm -hmm. I'm still outside. It's sunny. There's not a cloud in the sky. Slight breeze. High 60s, I would say. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. But in Cloudlandia, it's always perfect. Is that yeah. true? Is well, that true? I mean, the weather. No, I mean, the weather, right. The weather. The weather. That's what I mean. Yeah. I'm, no. I'm not sure that uh, Cloudlandia has weather. That's true. It's a non-factor. Yeah. Because if it's the same every day, it's like I don't, I don't count. I don't count that as weather. Okay. Well, yeah. listen, it's been, there's a lot going on right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's there is particular things that I'm going to, I'm going to throw out three things that I think the conflab of these is going to be a very interesting conversation. All right. And first of those is, well, it doesn't matter which order I start in, but here's, we'll put this in the VCR files that that fits pretty amazingly. Uh, so the Grammy nominations just came out in the last uh, few days since our last conversation. And among them was a Grammy nomination for two young girls who created a musical version of a Netflix show called Bridgerton. And it was called the unofficial Bridgerton musical. And these girls in their bedrooms basically created these musical like songs brilliantly. Well, well, well done. And they're not without talent. They've got the capabilities to do it, but certainly they were just creating them live streaming on TikTok. And started out with one song that edged them on, and the whole community kind of was gathering around them, building this big audience of people who were, uh, you know, following and loving it. Their reach was growing and growing. And they put out an album called The Unofficial Bridgerton Musical and got so much attention that it was nominated for a Grammy. And that, to me, Dan, is 20, a 20 and 22-year-old in their bedrooms, basically, at their homes or wherever they're doing, mm -hmm. you know, separated but live streaming, <laughs> created something that is at the highest level of acceptance in the mainstream kind of uh, Thing, you know, mm -hmm. like we, the way we saw Little Nas X with becoming the longest running number one song in the history, all of these barriers now are down. There's no <clears throat> gatekeepers at the top. If you've got the reach to get to the, the people, the capability to do the work and the vision to apply the capabilities, the idea to something that is going to appeal to a lot of people, it is green lights all the way for you right now. So that's number one. Number mm -hmm. two is this metaverse situation right now is heating up that somebody just sold a $650,000 yacht inside a virtual world called Sandbox, where people are building, developing property. There's another one called Decentraland, where someone just paid $2.4 million for a plot of land inside Decentraland, which is very close to our own 
Cloudlandia, which is very kind of funny. But the actual, like now, cordoning off of place, time and place within the digital, within the, the cloud now, within the digital world, that people are buying physical, well, the analog or the equivalent of physical uh, things for millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands in mm-hmm. these in this digital place, that's a big change. And then I'll top it all off with the the kind of flavor for the conversation is, I saw a funny meme, Dan, and this applies to our relationship. As long as since we met maybe the first time 25 years ago, that <laughs> it, this is what just struck me. It said 25 years ago, that if you wanted to get a picture of a raccoon, you either had to have a picture of a raccoon or you had to go to the library and get a picture of a raccoon. And if you wanted to have a picture of a raccoon with a silly hat, you could just forget about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought that is so funny because now all you have to do is type in raccoon and silly hat and you've got an unlimited buffet of raccoons and silly hats available to mm-hmm. you every possible itch that you would want to scratch is available right now to you and so mm-hmm. just looking at all these things are converging in my mind that are really amplifying the fact that 2022 is not 1992 you know that's really where we're at right now in my mind and so i thought who better to have that kind of a conversation with than you on a morning Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. yeah i'm just uh going back to 1450s you know 1500s yeah you know, with the creation of the the new universe that is created by written word and mm-hmm. uh, combined with public combined with publishing, you know that someone can write something down, take it to a print shop, and they'll set yeah. it in type, and then run up as many copies as the person needs, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and probably a broadsheet that can be folded into. A smaller shape, you know, they can fold it in half, they can fold it into quarters, they can fold it into sixteenths, and then they have themselves sort of a pamphlet. And yeah. that pamphlet can be distributed out, let's say, to a thousand, um, thousand people. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> now, who did that advantage and who did that not advantage? So in the present situation, I'm going to use the same category of looking at what's happening. Who does this advantage and who does this not advantage? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So want to take a crack at that? Yeah. You who don't have to go this? back to the earlier. You don't have to go back to the earlier model because what it disrupted was the control of the authorities over yeah. written word. Right. Okay, that yeah. written word was, First of all, it was limited to just one-off written documents, okay? And mm-hmm. only a few people had the skills to do that. And, uh, you know, they were only hired by a certain number of people. But then, guess what? Almost anybody who had an idea could write it down. And if they could find a printer to do mm-hmm. that, and there were a growing number of printers, then they could get that out there. And so who did that advantage? Mm-hmm. But anybody who, I guess, the creators. Well, uh, yes, it uh, uh-huh. advantaged the creators, but that probably and, wasn't even a word. Back but then, but that in in the stir, uh, but in the world, who actually takes advantage of new thoughts and new ideas? It's very seldom the creator. Okay, I got you. Uh-huh. It's the early adapters. It's the early. Adap- it's not the innovators who do right. it. It's the early adapters. So you're two. Let's take the two young women. 
who yeah. have created this album that's now Grammy awarded or nominated anyway for yeah. the Grammy uh-huh. Awards. Yeah. And let's say, are they innovators or are they early adapters? That's true. They're early adopters. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they can make a ton of money. I mean, they, they can make yeah. a ton of money because the model they're using isn't any different than the one that you introduced two years ago with Little Nas. Yeah. Different genre, you know, the right. different genre. They they yeah, probably the got same, it out to different influencers. Yeah, but, but the same model. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting. That's an interesting difference. Innovator. An early adopter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I'm looking at right now is somebody who's the person who's getting rewarded for the yacht. Somebody created a yacht, obviously, in mm-hmm. a digital world, and somebody else thought it was worth the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't wrap my mind around that. Yeah, that that would be uh, all those kind so of what, things. You in know, the that, world mm-hmm. in the world that he created the yacht. What else exists in that world? It must be a fairly fully furnished world that they. Oh yacht yeah, yeah. Would, This is why I was saying to you that this so sandbox is, you know, almost like one of these places. Like, do you remember we met the guy from from Second Life? And yeah. these, yeah, mm-hmm. this whole digital second life was really kind of the first of those alternate reality worlds kind of thing where it was mm-hmm. real trying to make a real world out of. And yeah, now it's like, it's mostly taken off in the gaming world. Like in mm-hmm. um, Fort Fortnite is one of the, the big mm-hmm. things or, you know, where the universe is, created and everybody's in there or um, mm-hmm. Minecraft or Roblox or all these things where people go in and you're collectively, you're building something that you can continue to build and control, you know, have stake your claim kind of thing. And people sell things within that environment, like to, and a lot of them are not affecting the play of the, game but they're just personal choices like you know skins or fashion things or tools or uh things that you could buy to express your individuality i guess on the uh, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know yeah you know, in the place much like fashion or the way we buy things in the real world right real properties and mm-hmm. it was interesting to hear conversations about this like when you think about nfts and in the art world that owning digital rights to art is actually probably a way to get it more seen than if you actually own you know expensive works of art that you hang in your home yeah where nobody gets to see them you don't know nobody knows that you have them unless they come to your world but if you've got these things now it's like having the having the certified verified check mark on your instagram account mm-hmm. that you are mm-hmm. that's a status thing that people mm-hmm. notice that you have that you know it <clears throat> sets you apart <clears throat> And so having mm-hmm. these crypto punks or owning this yacht in sandbox or this land in Decentraland, I mean, it's a really like, this is where things that like what's happening in Fortnite is people, it's becoming an experience center where they've had you know, big concerts with major artists seeing 10 million people or more in mm-hmm. at one time in the same experience, kind of. And there's a really interesting 
I'll, I'll throw this in as an aside too, that there's a show on television right now called, I think it's called Alter Ego. And it's based on kind of like Todd Herman's uh, book, Alter Ego. But the show is a singing competition among holographic avatars. So you, Dan, create your holographic avatar, how you present yourself to the world. You are projected on stage, regardless of who you are, what you actually are. And you are judged on that presentation to the world, not what you really are. And it's a really interesting thing because it goes with, there's another game show, another show on TV called The Masked Singer. And there's something about this, I don't know, it's, it's evolving to where this people prefer to mask, put a protective bubble around themselves to express themselves truly without them people knowing that it's them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that seems it's an interesting I don't know that's I don't know if that's a new desire, but it's certainly I've never seen it as prominently displayed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As as we're all Yeah, I'm I'm wondering what you know what I'm taking a look at is what is the incentive to do this. You know, yeah. I mean, not that these are very different things that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, they're, they're distinctly different acti- activities, but there's something about, you know, investigating, exploring, mapping out an area in the world that, you know, is not uh, controlled by other people. Uh, uh, you know, right. it's not a pre-existing establishment that you have to <clears throat> make your way slowly into with approval at every step <clears throat> and right. you can go in here and you can create your you can create your create your own material you know I, I think that people who are really creative actually do this in their minds you know mm-hmm. and that some people need uh sort of a bridge to be kind of creative they can't just do it conceptually they have to they have to have other tools for them to do that I was just, it was kind of interesting. I'm going to bring this in as maybe a, another example of what you're talking about here. So mm-hmm. about two months ago, I was doing my regular podcast interviews with Peter Diamandis. And before the session, before we started our actual conversation, he introduced me to two young guys who have a company. And there's two things that this company will do for you. They'll download all of your existing intellectual capital. In other words, anything you have in printed or audio yeah. or video form, they will convert it to digital content. It'll, there'll be this big single repository of all of yeah. your intellectual content. And then they will create an avatar uh, that looks like you and sounds like you. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. it's, similar. And then that avatar will be supplied with your intellectual capital and it can be asked questions and it will it'll go through your body of knowledge and then it'll come out and it'll answer a question. And and you can set this loose on the world as your representative. Yeah. Um, you know. And you know, when I was walking through the capability, but it wouldn't be useful to me to set it loose on the world. It would be useful for to set it loose on me. Wow. Say more about that. Well, I would ask the avatar a question, and then it would go through all everything that I've written and come back with an answer, uh-huh. and large amount of which I've completely forgotten. Right. Yeah. And so I, and you know, it'll, you know, I'll say, well, where did you get that? Well, this is in such a thing. And so one of the things about writing journals and writing down ideas and having notebooks of ideas that 
is um, useful is that, but the usefulness is in the present when you're actually writing down the idea. The, the full yeah. benefit of the idea is when you're writing it down. But the, the past value of it recedes because you're always creating new stuff, which distances you more and more from ideas that you might have had a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be neat to have, you know, randomly, because uh, I don't want to remember everything. I just want to be reminded of something that I've forgotten. And so I asked this avatar who looks and sounds like me to, um, what about that? And they said, well, you know, you you know, I'm kind of dramatizing the avatar here as I tell you. I say, well, Dan, and it calls me Dan, and I call it Dan. And Dan comes back and says, well, you know, you wrote about this. This is like 19, you know, this is 1994. You wrote something like this. And I says, oh, that's really interesting. I can bring that back. That's really valuable. I can bring that out in the next quarter yeah. as a new thinking, thinking tool. Uh-huh. So to me, using it as an interface with the world, I have no interest with but having an interface with my past, I, I have a great deal too. of interest in it. Could you imagine being able to say, yeah, when did I first say the words Claudelandia? Where did, when did I first bring that? Yeah. Or when, did, yeah. yeah, that whole, to go back. Who not say, how. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, right, who not exactly. how. Yeah. We bring that to it because every time I'm asked about who not how, I mention your name. So... <laughs> I love that. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so to a certain extent, I'm kind of a bot out there for you. It's a bot. In the world too. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate they, they, that. That's, uh, now, here's... Can I can I tell you something, though? Something that I think is a, a reality. It's the people who profit the most, who, had, who are advantaged most, are the people who can cross continually from one world into the other and bring something valuable both ways. In other words, that they can be in Cloudlandia and then mm-hmm. bring something into the mainland and then they can get something in the mainland and yeah. take it into Cloudlandia. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just yeah, like operating that. in one of the worlds completely is not. I think there's a receding value to your to your existence in either one of the worlds. And I think that Dan, we underestimate the value of the mainland too, in a lot of ways that people look at. Like I bet I would love to see actually the economic impact of the mainland versus Cloudlandia in terms of where the economic consumption and spending is or the economy itself is because, excuse me, I look at, I was doing some calculating. I do a lot of work with financial advisors and we were calculating, doing some postcards into an area you can, we get a list of people who have certain attributes and you know if, if you have one of one of the attributes would be people with a million dollars investable assets um, available and if you take within a radius of your office some number of those uh, people that a thousand people with a with investable assets of a million dollars is a billion dollars mm-hmm. of potential assets under management mm-hmm. from a thousand people within a mile of where you're sitting right now. Yeah. Right. Or within, within two miles or whatever. The, yeah. How, whatever how it is, but it, you have to go. It's not far it's from you. It's not far from It's a thousand not, people that you can yeah. literally walk to yeah and And that's really i think you're really putting your finger at the crucial point you know i mean if i go to the number one um i think criteria of whether things are getting better economically or not is actually productivity simply measures the 
output that you get per capita of people who are working. In other words, you have this number of workers and the per capita output, you know, mm-hmm. and that's sellable output. So it's more than yeah. just having creating something, but it's creating something that actually gets sold. And and so my sense is that the your example is an example of extraordinary output from the you know the economic activity involving a thousand people. Yeah. With some sort of agents who are transposing it from a low level of productivity to a higher level of productivity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's that was uh, just observing all of this, you know, as how it all mm-hmm. full interplay between between Cloudlandia and the mainland and my. Yeah. You know, Can I give my, you a? I'm going to give you a thought here that okay. tells you there's one indicator that tells you whether an economy is really a. You know, it could be the economy of a city or the economy, a state, a province, or a country. And there's one factor that I think determines, and it has to do with the amount of cement created. Okay, I bet that's, I mean, I love like, you know, random, you know, correlations. And here's what I'm using. I'm only using one data point. Actually, I'll use two data points for this. And the first data point was Nazi Germany during the 1930s. Their economy went, you know, went from depression, depression level performance to thriving major country performance because there was a massive creation of cement that they began building things. The number one was the Autobahn, which was mm-hmm. a, a major highway system throughout Germany. Joining mm-hmm. the various cities in Germany, and and the whole point about it was is that they were creating more highway than they had cars to drive on it. Uh huh. Okay, so it wasn't in. It, they weren't creating the highways to satisfy uh, a demand for right. A demand for the number of car owners because there weren't that many car owners in Germany. It was actually. They were just creating highway and they were putting thousands, tens of thousands of people to work. And the money was disproportionately going into and they were building all sorts of warehouses and factories and using cement. Cement's probably the big thing. Mm -hmm. And they had to declare war because at a certain point in the 1930s, the jig was up. And their own economy, just putting the emphasis on cement, wasn't wasn't going to continue to create the prosperity. The prosperity it was a forced prosperity, forced by the making of cement. And so they said, "Well, let's go to war." You know, let's go to war. And they invaded. You know, eventually the one that triggered the war was they invaded Poland. Mm-hmm. And and the main reason was to steal everything useful that the Poles had, and they invaded a whole series of other countries, 25 other countries, and it was to steal that we can't produce our own valuable output, so we'll just steal the output of other people. Okay. So the the interesting thing is that if you go to the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, Japan was the country that was going to be the 21st century. I remember the movies, you know, showing how far ahead the Japanese were in the America. Right. But the one feature in at the center of the Japanese growth and their prosperity was cement. They were producing cement like mad. They were cementing over everything. They were creating all sorts of cement structures and features and walls. They had sea walls that they created out of cement. And then around 19... 19- 84, 85, they just hit a wall, and they've been essentially not in a growth position for the last, you know, close to 35 years. They haven't been in a growth position. When you look at China today, and now there's this, you know, the there's this um, threat of failure in their real estate markets. The number one factor that you look at about what's been happening in China for the last 15, 20 years is cement. 
they're producing cement. So uh, wow. there's a there's an interesting thing about it that when you start noticing that the productive capabilities of a country are going into pr- producing cement and then you overusing cement, it kind of tells you that they don't have any other value creation in their economy. That's interesting. And uh, I mean, cement history. Uh, I mean, if you think about cement as representing the mainland, I mean, it's kind of going in that. It's like yeah. the. Uh, I mean, the mainland's heavy enough. Now they're now they're cementing right. it over. You know, it's almost yeah. like it's the failure of creativity. I mean, cement's not hard to make. I mean, there's there's no innovation in cement right. uh, at, at this point, and you can pour it out. I mean, you can just produce lots and lots of cement. So my feeling yeah. is that the, you know that an economy is bottoming out when it's at the bottom of it is increased amounts of cement. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you, I, that's a really because you look at you've said before. You know, we looked at Toronto. As an example, with the number of cranes is a oh, good yeah. indicator too, right? Which, but everywhere there's a crane, there's cement. That's the that's part of the the thing, I guess. You know, lots of cement. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's other things. The thing is that there's major what yeah. look like cities in China, yeah. where if you flew over it, you'd say there must be a million people there. But but it's all the buildings, but nobody's living in them. Nobody yet. Yeah. Uh, Nobody ever. Nobody ever. Right. Like nobody ever. And what's interesting is that they have a credit. 75% of all personal investment would be individual Chinese Mm -hmm. uh, investing in the Chinese economy. 75% of the total investment each year, personal investment, is in buildings in building projects, well, it's in right. real real estate, real estate. Right. and some of the some of it is second mortgage, some of it is third mortgage, some of it is fourth mortgage. Okay, and so they've got this massive credit, but it's all geared to an activity. Which, if you look at it, the more that gets built, the less useful it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's some, I mean, this this kind of thinking, you know, like when you look at what's the, so what do you, what do, you do with that information in a way now that we know that, right? What, what do we, well, what do we the, In the world of reality, what's the opposite of cement? <laughs> right. Like the idea of who not how seems to me to be the opposite of cement. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, vision capability. The idea of VCR seems to me uh-huh. to be the opposite of cement. Uh, okay, so uh, it seems to me that the opposite of cement is a conceptual value. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the ability, the multiplier of those, is our ability to get yeah. that idea, get that concept to yeah. everybody yeah. at at once that there's no yeah being able to spread you know it's not unlike the if you even if you had a picture of a raccoon in a funny hat 25 years ago how would Mm -hmm. you even let the world know that if they were looking for one you've got it you know the fact that you can type in to google right now raccoon and funny hat and be presented mm-hmm. infinite options for that right now mm-hmm. instantly at the thought of it mm-hmm. you know now that and since we've everything has been digitized that's something yeah digital i mean cement is is decidedly not digital you're absolutely right everything about mm-hmm. it is is non-digital right? <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean I, I mean it's just yeah I mean first of all it's it's there's a permanent there's a permanent uselessness to cement yeah. that you know that if it's in the wrong place you know it's in the wrong place and it doesn't right. generate any activity 
And so, so, you know, I'm just trying to think. My, my sense is that the real economic activity is between the two worlds. That's mm. more and more. I mean, from the past, I always feel that it's the people who facilitate trade across boundaries seem mm-hmm. to be the the great money makers. They're the you know they're the the people who have. Uh, great flexibility to what they're doing because they're constantly looking on both sides what's needed on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I often say people, I said, you know, the concept of heaven and hell, just as it exists, is, you know, it seems sort of static to me, you know, heaven and mm-hmm. hell. But actually, the real interesting is the courier service in between. <laughs> Yes, the courier service. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, I mean that's where the action is. The action is not heaven. I mean, from all I t- told, you know, it's uh, it's kind of it, you know, it's kind of dozy. You know, the image of it is kind of dozy, and uh, you know, hell's got to, you know it might be interesting for the first uh, you know first hour or two, but after that, not so much. And, but actually, the possibility of moving between the two is probably where all the action is. <laughs> Times Square and the Upper East Side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. And it's movement. Uh, like, my sense is that value is in movement. And that's what, yeah, I mean, that's where, um, that's, you know, explains kind of Zoom. In a way, mm-hmm. a movement mm-hmm. being able moving around yep. in there. Yeah, and nobody and now, I, I, people still don't get it. You know, it's kind of interesting because yeah. uh, they're, they're they're still talking in terms. You know, and I'm talking about team members. I'm talking about clients. Uh, you know, other people. They say, well, it's not really personal. You know, and I said, personal. You know, I'm not quite. I'm not quite wrapping my mind around the concept of personal. You know, what do you mean personal? You mean, you know, it's kind of funny because I, for the first time, three days ago for dinner, I had a dinner with five of my project managers, and this is the first time I've seen them since you know <clears throat> March of 2020. And we mm-hmm. were at uh, the Hazelton. We went to the restaurant in Hazelton. Okay, and, uh, you know, and there was this thrill. There was kind of this thrill for the first half hour, first hour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we were talking, first of all, then it got really loud and it was hard, hard to. Were you in the private? Uh, were you in no, the private we didn't. Uh, or, we oh. were too late. No, we were too late okay. together. It would have been nice. I mean, that would have been fantastic if we had that. But And the restaurants seemed to be worse after COVID with noise levels than they were before COVID levels. Wow. And maybe it's just been, maybe it's just because I've been without the noise for 20 uh, 20 months and it's affecting affecting me more. But the big thing was that there is another dimension. There is another dimension that's not capturable on Zoom, and it's a random multi-dimensionality that happens when you have a group of people, because mm-hmm. people don't really talk in complete sentences. They refer to this, they refer to that, and everything else. And I'm not diminishing that, or in any way, <clears throat> you know, saying that isn't great. But it's a different right. sort of thing go- going on. Yeah. Whereas in the Zoom session, it seems more precise. You know, mm-hmm. there's the, there's uh, a focus that's maintained and yeah. new material is added to the focus and it's all for the purpose of planning that's going to lead to action and deadlines and <clears throat> everything like that. So that's the difference that I know. <clears throat> but nobody taught, really brought up the subject of instant transportation. You know, mm-hmm. And I said, you're missing the whole point of it. It's instant transfer transportation you know the year uh, yeah the value is instantaneous transportation yeah you can be now, in a room yeah 
you can all now, get you right may be the, the sort of person you, you you may be the sort of person that you're not creating any value here and you're instantly transported somewhere else and you won't create any value there. (laughs) (laughs) So that may be the issue. More efficient non-value creation. Yeah. Yeah. More efficient sameness. (laughs) Well, this is an interesting, like what I'm interested, Dan, is something that you said, if we go back, and I love the fact that you know, we were talking about now and you immediately go back to the 1450s when the printing press was getting started mm-hmm. and we we're mm-hmm. talking about innovators and early adopters. And I've been, you know, when we were looking at how we've evolved to get to where we are right now, that there's been a lot of steps, you know, from... Gutenberg to where we are now. And, Mm -hmm. but it seemed to me, and this is what gets lost when you're looking back is the depth of the time. Like the, it seems to me, if we're looking at the timeline of developments that led to digitization and where we are right now, that Gutenberg was, one of the first that got us into the asynchronous distribution of consistent mm-hmm. information. That was, mm-hmm. that's the first step, the first domino there. But it seems like it took us then all the way to the 1800s to get to the next level where we could record pictures and audio with the phonograph and and the and photography <laughs> and then it all sort of happened very quickly from there uh, <clears throat> cascading improvement all the way up mm-hmm. what happened between 1450 or and 1850 or 1830s or whenever the first photography was happening there what mm-hmm. How did the impact of Gutenberg kind of change the landscape here that the who who were the early adopters because it's the same I think we see that same opportunity here maybe you know do you know historically well, like who were yeah yeah I mean the, up the, the the one that uh, my sense is the one new capability that <clears throat> printing had a, a huge impact on were, first of all, commercial contracts that you could establish principles of trade law. And in other words, that you could increase the possibility of cooperation with strangers. And then the real breakthrough was that it facilitated enormously deep water navigation. Uh, from the standpoint of mapping and having more and more accurate maps of unexplored areas. So people would bring back information and they, they would revise the maps. I mean, you have to remember, I mean, that this coincides within 50 years, the discovery of a new hemisphere. The Western hemisphere was essentially, all of human history was essentially in the Eastern hemisphere. And then starting in 1492, there was the discovery of a another another hemisphere as big as, you know, so the last 500 years have really been about the growing importance of the Western Hemisphere. So much so that, you know, at the end of the Second World War, the key country that had been created in the Western Hemisphere basically took over the policing and the coordinating of the Eastern Hemisphere. You know, the United States took over. And I mean, a lot of people, you know, they don't really have an understanding of what happened at the end of the Second World War, everything else. But what you see is more and more a movement of knowledge and the utilization of the multiplier utilization of knowledge that seems to be increasingly dominant 
in one hemisphere over the other hemisphere and then in one country in that hemisphere over all all that. So uh, I would say that's been the all all the breakthroughs that you're talking about uh, for the most part in the Cloudlandia are taking place as a result of things happening in the United States. Mm-hmm. That's true. Isn't it? You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even the little NAS story yeah. starts in Amsterdam, That's but the payoff, is in, the payoff is in the United States. These two uh-huh. women, are they from the United States? Are they both? They are. Uh-huh. are they, yep. Yeah, they are. And then all the action is in the United States. Mr. Beast yeah. takes place in the United States and all the action yeah, is in the Yeah, all of United that, States. right. So my sense is that if you look at the word of uh, world of Cloudlandia and the gaming business, you'll see that however dominant the Western Hemisphere, and I'll just say the United States here and its influence, that became the key power in Cloudlandia and that mm-hmm. or, or in the mainland. And now it's infinitely, probably the, from a positive standpoint, the biggest power in Cloudlandia. Yes. Until, yeah, unless uh, then you get into where reach could make the biggest difference and you start to see, I've been reading about the future of the movie industry and the impact of China on box office, just in streaming and those things, just the sheer numbers of China, India, as everybody moves into a 5G, you know, self-directed mm-hmm. kind of world where the the phone is the outlet for things rather mm-hmm. than the movie theaters, that's mm-hmm. a that's going to stack the deck in the favor, you know, in, in China being a huge um, market like that. Mm-hmm. Reach. Yeah, That's and reach, I think that right? my That's my sense your volume. My, yeah, yeah. My sense is that China now realizes that they're in a existential fight for control over the minds of their own people. Yeah. I mean, all they're, you know, creating a surveillance society is that they're really worried enormously about what images and messages their own people are taking in. That they're right. not controlling, they're yeah. not controlling. Yeah, I think I mean my sense is that uh, a lot of the argument is that the Chinese are on the offensive. I don't think that they have been now for about ten years because they've been coming. They're clamping down. They're suppressing and everything. Anytime you hear about suppression and surveillance and everything else, that's not a confident offensive position. It's a it's a it's a worried defense position. Yeah. Well, they're finding out. They're finding out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well. Get that in the bud. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but, you know, American culture since the movie, the age of movies, and then moving into the age of, you know, age of music. Uh-huh. And, and television that's really been the dominant cultural power on the planet. You know, I mean, yeah. all the techniques that the Chinese are using are basically created outside of China. There's yeah. no new, there's no new technological creativity inside China. Everything's a, you know, is a, an adaptation of the things that were created in other parts parts of the world. And I think that, you know, that's true in the mainland, and that's also true in... Um, well, you're starting... Uh, this is an interesting conversation because you're starting to see now through uh, Netflix becoming a global provider of of access to, you know, digitized entertainment. Mm-hmm that some of the biggest stories of the last, you know, 18 months have been foreign things. Like there was a show called Money Heist that was the number one show and it came from Spain. And then Mm -hmm. there was now uh, Squid Games is this big phenomenon. That's the number one show in the world from Korea. 
and mm-hmm. it were uh, it's a really interesting well the um, other thing is that melding. it's been the uh, it's been the golden age of television i would yeah. think for the last 25 years out of yeah. london basically out of you know the british uh, have been producing more great tv you know lawn running especially lawn run, running tv yeah. You know, and, you know, and I saw a great series called Babylon Berlin, which was the the most highly financed TV series in German history, you know, that came out. So my sense is that wherever there's creativity, it will be sought for, sought out for by the capital markets that are behind streaming, you know, Disney's in it and, you know, Uh HBO is in it everything else. So what it means, it's a single world. And therefore, there's really interesting, you know, really interesting stories can find their place. Mm-hmm. They can that find their sort of, are in your back going back in your knowledge after Gutenberg is when did literature start to, you know, rather than, like when did entertainment writing start to storytelling, start to grab hold, like book publishing, um, story publishing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You don't see a big real upswing in, you know, in fiction right. uh, until until around the 15, 1600s. You know, okay. so it's a good, it's, when I say 1600s, the late 1500s, you have Don Quixote, uh, you know, came out. Don uh-huh. Quixote, uh, a Spanish thing. I think that's in, <clears throat> that might be contemporaneous with Shakespeare. And, you know, uh-huh. but theater became really big. That's the thing. Shakespeare is really the crossover point for theater. Uh-huh. And the reason is that he was purely entrepreneurial in the sense that he was a playwright but he was mm-hmm. also a producer of plays and he had a company which was an organization to produce plays and he created his own theater the globe which mm-hmm. was his own theater and this was the first time that a theater existed that wasn't owned by the monarchy or okay by, yeah it would have okay. been the monarchy more than that and and so i think there's a crossover of entrepreneurial activity that you know that really picked up and my sense is that theater and fiction appeared most where countries were busy with trade as a source of economic power okay, okay. But, uh, yeah you you have a very um diversified audience that's living in fairly dense population yeah. where entertainment entertainment becomes a big part of their life. Right. That, that's a good question. I mean, I'll go and, you know. Well, I wonder if it ties in with, with the innovation that creates leisure. I mean, that creates mm-hmm. the, where, mm-hmm. where we, we start to really have some time to kick back a little bit. Yeah, and uh, the the interesting thing is that watching streaming on television is a lot cheaper than, you know, getting dressed, traveling down to the theater and paying yeah. the price of theater and then yeah. probably having to eat either before or after right. transportation costs. And the last 20 months has given people a full introduction to the alternative than you leaving your house. It's and it's everybody loves it. Doesn't like the courtyard. <laughs> All the introverts love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now I mean, I'm. Uh, I, yeah, I'm clearly an uh, introvert in the mainland and an extrovert. On, on Zoom <laughs> in Cloudlandia, right? Exactly in Cloudlandia, about, I'm an yeah. extra. I'm an extrovert in uh-huh. uh, in uh, in the mainland. I'm an introvert. I love that. Well, now we've got this Omicron, so that's gonna keep us. That should chase us back into our hidey holes for a while. Yeah, they couldn't use the next one. They couldn't use the next name. You know why? Why? 
Well, it, it was Xi, like the president of China. They couldn't. Oh. Uh, that. That's interesting. So, so anyway, because of these variants that keep coming, yeah. and they force the science to just keep getting better. So what's been happening backstage is all the scientific labs in the world are doubling down, getting a head start on the next variant. So my sense is that they may be producing really, you know, super knockout type of vaccines. And I suspect they're going to be oral vaccines. They're not going to be shots. Okay. That, that you'll be taking an oral vaccine once a month, and it just keeps you perpetually on top of things. So oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Just keep taking your pill, and yeah, everything will be fine. I take lots of pills. I mean, yeah. I, I take Adderall. You know, I, I have one called Propranil. Propranolol. I've got a thing called an essential tremor, and it's in one of my hands that I have a tremor. Okay, uh-huh. and it's not a precursor to Parkinson's. You know, that's what they look for if you have any kind right. of tremor. But it it's actually just a it's it's a flaw. You know, and a uh-huh. thing. but I take a thing called propranolol, and it's a originally meant as a blood pressure disease wasn't very effective. But uh-huh. what it does is it actually lowers your heart rate. Your heart oh, rate wow. comes down. And there's a point where the tremor stops. And, wow. and and so anyway, but I take my drug, you know, I take my drug. But I've got blood pressure medicine that I take and everything else and have and uh, everything's cool, you know. It's effective. It doesn't decline in effective, uh, effectiveness and so I don't mind that. Right. You are a uh, fan of pharmaceutical advancement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, foods are, you know, we're told from childhood that this food is good for you and this food isn't necessarily good for you. And uh, Well, I always <clears> find it uh, fascinating, Dan, that people will take, you know, three handfuls of supplements to avoid taking one pill of a pharmaceutical you know, know. it's it's an interesting like i'll do this but i won't do this kind of uh mentality you know strikes me yeah I, yeah i think that people's reasons for anything are are highly specific and highly quirky yeah mm-hmm and, you know, that you have to understand the individual at a yeah. very deep level to figure out why they're for this and not ag- and right. why they're against this. There's no, uh, when it comes to individuals, I find, I find there's fewer and fewer general rules. Right. Well, there's a lot of like signaling and approval seeking in yeah. a lot of people's in supplementation. And there's a oh, lot yeah. of shame and, you know, yeah, in pharmaceuticals or whatever. But if you yeah. take it on a meritocracy, the result-getting basis, yeah, that's a probably more, probably a better barometer to judge yeah. than just the uh, emotional approval mm-hmm. seeking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got this neat thing that I got. You can look it up. It's called Hustle Drops. H-U-S-T-L-E. What are they called? Hustle? Hustle, like the hustle, you know, somebody who hustles. Yeah. Uh, Hustle Drops. You look it up, and it comes in a black bottle with a, you know, a pincher, like, you know, that you can press it, and you get a certain amount of fluid, and you put it in your mouth. And then you you just move it around in your mouth for about ten seconds, and then you swallow it, and mm-hmm. it's it, you get an instant hit of energy. I mean, your wow. first of all, your your entire uh, breathing passage is just instantly clear, and wow. you get this real shot of energy. And I take it just before I do my exercise in the morning, and right. uh, I get a bottle. You get about thirty. It's good for about thirty days. And so uh, I've just been experimenting 
for the last six months with it. And I really like it. I really like it. And if you get a cold or anything and you just take this, all of a sudden your nasal passages just completely clear out and you get a, you know, and it's a whole bunch of, you know, it's like mint and menthol and everything that's a mix. And I think it's a uh, crowdsourcing project. I think they funded this whole thing with crowdsourcing. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. That's... <clears throat> yeah. I warn people off to things that don't seem to work. You know? Right. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, next I time I want to go deep into what are the components of a compelling offer. Okay. I know a lot about that. Yeah, I, I would really like to get a handle on that because I think okay. uh, it's the essence of persuasion. Absolutely, this yes. Oh well, this will be uh, this will be fun. Let's do that. Yep. Okay, Alrighty. I'll count on okay. you to remind. But that's I'll be ready. Right. Will do. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great week, Dan. Bye. Take care. Bye.